Chapter 2, Part 10 of Our Village, Volume 1 by Mary Russell Mitford. Read by Anne Fletcher, Hobart, 2020. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Our Village, Volume 1 Walks in the Country, Part 10 The Dell. May 2nd. A delicious evening. Bright sunshine, light summer air, a sky almost cloudless and a fresh yet delicate verdure on the hedges and in the fields, an evening that seems made for a visit to my newly discovered haunt, the Mossy Dell, one of the most beautiful spots in the neighbourhood, which, after passing times out of number the field which it terminates, we found out about two months ago from the accident of May's killing a rabbit there. May has had a fancy for the place ever since, and so have I. Thither accordingly we bend our way, through the village, up the hill, and along the common, past the avenue, across the bridge, and by the hill. How deserted the road is to-night! We have not seen a single acquaintance, except poor blind Robert, laden with his sack of grass plucked from the hedges, and the little boy that leads him. A singular division of labour. Little Jem guides Robert to the spots where the long grass grows, and tells him where it's most plentiful and then the old man cuts it close to the roots, and between them they fill the sack and sell the contents in the village. Half the cows in the street, for our baker, our wheelwright, and our shoemaker each has his alderney, owe the best part of their maintenance to blind Robert's industry. Here we are at the entrance of the cornfield which leads to the dell, and which commands so fine a view of the Loddon, the mill, and the great farm with its picturesque outbuildings, and the range of woody hills beyond. It is impossible not to pause a moment at that gate. The landscape, always beautiful, is so suited to the season and the hour, so bright and gay and spring-like. But May, who has the chance of another rabbit in her pretty head, has galloped forward to the dingle, and poor May, who follows me so faithfully in all my wanderings, has a right to a little indulgence in hers. So to the dingle we go. At the end of the field, which when seen from the road seems terminated by a thick dark coppice, we come suddenly to the edge of a ravine, on one side fringed with a low growth of alder, birch and willow, and on the other mossy turf and bare, or only broken by bright tufts of blossomed broom. One or two old pollards almost conceal the winding road that leads down the descent, by the side of which a spring as bright as crystal runs gurgling along. The dell itself is an irregular piece of broken ground, in some parts very deep, intersected by two or three high banks of equal irregularity, now abrupt and bare and rock-like, now crowned with tufts of the feathery willow or magnificent old thorns. Everywhere the earth is covered by short, fine turf, mixed with mosses, soft, beautiful and various, and embossed with the speckled leaves and lilac flowers of the arum, the paler blossoms of the common orchis, the enamelled blue of the wild hyacinth, so splendid in this evening light, and large tufts of oxlips and cowslips rising like nosegays from the short turf. The ground on the other side of the dell is much lower than the field through which we came, 
so that it is mainly to the labyrinthine intricacy of these high banks that it owes its singular character of wildness and variety. Now we seem hemmed in by those green cliffs, shut out from all the world, with nothing visible but those verdant mounds and the deep blue sky. Now, by some sudden turn, we get a peep at an adjoining meadow, where the sheep are lying, dappling its sloping surface like the small clouds on the summer heaven. Poor, harmless, quiet creatures, how still they are! Some socially lying side by side, some grouped in threes and fours, some quite apart. Ah, oh, there are lambs amongst them, pretty, pretty lambs, nestled in by their mothers. Soft, quiet, sleepy things. Not all so quiet, though. There is a party of these young lambs, as wide awake as heart can desire, half a dozen of them playing together, frisking, dancing, leaping, butting and crying in the young voice, which is so pretty a diminutive of the full-grown bleat. How beautiful they are with their innocent spotted faces, their mottled feet, their long curly tails and their light flexible forms, frolicking like so many kittens but with a gentleness, an assurance of sweetness and innocence which no kitten, nothing that ever is to be a cat, can have. How complete and perfect is their enjoyment of existence! Oh, little rogues, your play has been too noisy. You've awakened your mamas, and two or three of the old ewes are getting up, and one of them marching gravely to the troop of lambs has selected her own, given her a gentle butt, and trotted off, the poor rebuked lamb following meekly, but every now and then stopping and casting a longing look at its playmates, who, after a moment's awed pause, had resumed their gambols, whilst this stately dame every now and then looked back in her turn to see that her little one was following. At last she lay down, and the lamb by her side. I never saw so pretty a pastoral scene in my life. I have seen one which affected me much more. Walking in the church lane with one of the young ladies of the vicarage, we met a large flock of sheep, with the usual retinue of shepherds and dogs. Lingering after them, and almost out of sight, we encountered a straggling ewe, now trotting along, now walking, and every now and then stopping to look back and bleating. A little behind her came a lame lamb, bleating occasionally as if in answer to its dam, and doing its very best to keep up with her. It was a lameness of both the forefeet. The knees were bent, and it seemed to walk on the very edge of the hoof, on tiptoe, if I may venture such an expression. My young friend thought that the lameness proceeded from original malformation. I am rather of the opinion that it was accidental, and that the poor creature was wretchedly footsore. However that might be, the pain and difficulty with which it took every step were not to be mistaken, and the distress and fondness of the mother, her perplexity as the flock passed gradually out of sight, the effort with which the poor lamb contrived to keep up a sort of trot, and their mutual calls and lamentations were really so affecting that Ellen and I, although not at all lachrymose sort of people, had much ado not to cry. 
we could not find a boy to carry the lamb which was too big for us to manage but i was quite sure that the ewe would not desert it and as the dark was coming on we both trusted that the shepherds on folding their flock would miss them and return for them and so i am happy to say it proved another turning of the dell gives a glimpse of the dark coppice by which it is backed and from which we are separated by some marshy rushy ground where the springs have formed into a pool and where the moorhen loves to build her nest ay there's one scudding away now i can hear her plash into the water and the rustling of her wings among the rushes this is the deepest part of the wild dingle how uneven the ground is surely these excavations now so thoroughly clothed with vegetation must originally have been huge gravel pits there is no other way of accounting for the labyrinth for they do dig gravel in such capricious meanders but the quantity seems incredible well there's no end of guessing we're getting amongst the springs and must turn back round this corner where on ledges like fairy terraces the orchises and arums grow and we emerge suddenly on a new side of the dell just fronting the small homestead of our good neighbour farmer allen this rustic dwelling belongs to what used to be called in this part of the country a little bargain thirty or forty acres perhaps of arable land which the owner and his sons cultivated themselves while the wife and daughters assisted in the husbandry and eked out the slender earnings by the produce of the dairy the poultry-yard and the orchard an order of cultivators now passing rapidly away but in which much of the best part of the english character its industry its frugality and its sound sense and its kindness might be found farmer allen himself is an excellent specimen the cheerful venerable old man with his long white hair and his bright grey eye and his wife is a still finer they have had a hard struggle to win through the world and keep their little property undivided but good management and good principles and the assistance afforded them by an admirable son who left our village a poor prentice boy and is now a partner in a great house in london have enabled them to overcome all the difficulties of these trying times, and they are now enjoying the peaceful evenings of a well-spent life, as free from care and anxiety as their best friends could desire. Ah, oh, there's Mr. Allen in the orchard, the beautiful orchard with its glorious gardens of pink and white, its pearly pear blossoms and coral apple buds. What a flush of bloom it is! how brightly delicate it appears thrown into strong relief by the dark house and the weather-stained barn in this soft evening light the very grass is strewed with the snowy petals of the pear and the cherry and there sits mrs allen feeding her poultry with her three little granddaughters from london pretty fairies from three years old to five only two and twenty months elapsed between the birth of the eldest and the youngest playing around her feet mrs allen my dear mrs allen has been that rare thing a beauty and although she be now an old woman i had almost said that she is so still why should i not say so nobleness of feature and sweetness of expression are surely as delightful in age as in youth her face and figure are much like those which are stamped indelibly on the memory of every one who ever saw that grand specimen of woman mrs siddons
the outline of mrs allen's face is exactly the same but there is more softness more gentleness a more feminine composure in the eye and in the smile mrs allen never played lady macbeth her hair almost as black as at twenty is parted on her large fair forehead and combed under her exquisitely neat and snowy cap a muslin neckerchief a grey stuff gown and a white apron complete the picture there she sits under an old elder tree which flings its branches over her like a canopy whilst the setting sun illumines her venerable figure and touches the leaves with an emerald light there she sits placid and smiling with her spectacles in her hand and a measure of barley on her lap into which the little girls are dipping their chubby hands and scattering the corn amongst the ducks and chickens with unspeakable glee but those ingrates the poultry don't seem so pleased and thankful as they ought to be they mistrust their young feeders all domestic animals dislike children partly from an instinctive fear of their tricks and thoughtlessnesses partly i suspect from jealousy jealousy seems a strange tragic passion to attribute to the inmates of the basse cour but only look at that strutting fellow of a bantam cock evidently a favourite who sidles up to his old mistress with an air half affronted and half tender turning so scornfully from the barleycorns which annie is flinging towards him and say if he be not as jealous as othello nothing can pacify him but mrs allen's notice and a dole from her hand see she's calling to him and feeding him and now how he swells out his feathers and flutters his wings and erects his glossy neck and struts and crows and pecks proudest and happiest of bantams the pet and glory of the poultry-yard in the meantime my own pet may who has all this while been peeping into every hole and penetrating every nook and winding of the dell in hopes to find another rabbit has returned to my side and is sliding her snake-like head into my hand at once to invite the caress which she likes so well and to intimate with all due respect that it's time to go home the setting sun gives the same warning and in a moment we are through the dell the field and the gate past the farm and the mill and hanging over the bridge that crosses the loddon river what a sunset how golden how beautiful the sun just disappearing and the narrow liney clouds which a few minutes ago lay like soft vapoury streaks along the horizon lighted up with a golden splendour that the eye can scarcely endure and those still softer clouds which floated above them wreathing and curling into a thousand fantastic forms as thin and changeful as summer smoke now defined and deepened into grandeur and edged with ineffable insufferable light another minute and the brilliant orb totally disappears and the sky above grows every moment more varied and more beautiful as the dazzling golden lines are mixed with glowing red and gorgeous purple dappled with small dark specks and mingled with such a blue as the egg of the hedge sparrow to look up at that glorious sky and then to see that magnificent picture reflected in the clear and lovely loddon water is a pleasure never to be described and never forgotten 
my heart swells and my eyes fill as i write of it and think of the immeasurable majesty of nature and the unspeakable goodness of god who has spread an enjoyment so pure so peaceful and so intense before the meanest and lowliest of his creatures end of chapter 2 part 10